Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. In today's episode, we have Alan Hirsch. He is an award-winning author. He is a leader, a founder of things such as Forge Mission Training Network, Movement Leaders Collective, 5Q Collective, and more. But most importantly, he is a lover of Jesus and the body of Christ. He's a great man, and we have a great conversation. Uh, It's a good one. It's a fun one. I know you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is Alan Hirsch. Well, I appreciate it, Al. Uh, Welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, and thank you for joining us. Uh, It's really great to have you here. It's good to be with you, bro. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to start with, uh, with how did you first encounter Jesus? Oh, that's a kind of interesting story. I mean, um, to be honest with you, I come from a Jewish family, so yeah. uh, there was no, you know, Christianity in my family. I mean, I, yeah, so, um, but I always, as far as I can remember, had a, a something with Jesus, or Jesus had something with me. I, mm-hmm. I know it now as what we might call prevenient grace, but there were elements where I just would um, like. I remember seeing uh, one of those black and white movies. Uh, um, I can't remember the name now. Where Jesus plays like a furtive figure in the background of the movie. Yeah. I remember being in the cinema, coming out of that, and uh, um, feeling deeply touched and drawn mm-hmm. and. Cried. I cried in the movie and always had this thing with Jesus. And then uh, I, you know, and I always, you know, believed in God and worshipped God. Yeah. Uh, I was always open on that. And then when I was called up to the military, uh, to military service, and, um, and, but, you know, in there, I met a guy, I met a group of people who first introduced me to a lot of drugs. And then <laughs> one of the guys had this encounter with, with the Holy Spirit at one at a church when I came back very different. Wow. Very, very different person. And, um, yeah. and uh, I think that's really kind of my, my real introduction to, to Jesus per se, it came in first with drugs and then with Jesus. And I think <laughs> Jesus had to get me really stoned before I could Get it, become a Christian. <laughs> That's great. But it's a story of prevenient grace, the idea that God is involved yeah. in every person, calling them to himself and then through Jesus. I, I've experienced that many, many times. Deborah's story is similar to mine. Um, Jesus found us, uh, wow. not me finding Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, that's why I love, you know, John 6, 44, that Jesus says to his disciples, nobody could come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. Absolutely. And, you know, God is drawing people to all times. And it's, you know, especially, you know, as we're trying to make disciples find open, hungry people, we're really just looking for the people that the father is drawing and joining him in the work that he's doing around the world. Yeah, um, absolutely right. And again, if, you know, looking from the, from a Christian eyes, you know, the standard eyes on what was going on, that you wouldn't tell that God was involved in our lives. But in my little drug gang, there was no question we would get stoned and talk about wow. God and the universe. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's no, and I'm, I'm not encouraging people in this, but I'm just saying <laughs> um, um, God uses things like that. And because oh, behind yeah. even drugs, there is a yearning, two reasons why people take drugs, to try and minimize the, the sense of um um, pain mm-hmm. as, as anesthetic and the other is as, as the party or the, the reaching for ecstasy you know yep and those two impulses are deeply human and um and can be a, a part of what it means to be human you know and they can be re- redeemed and redirected yeah mm. so what does it look like i mean as you know, walking in 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 church in the western church oftentimes we get a little touchy about about drugs or spirituality that's not inside the walls of the church, um, how can we uh, reorient our eyes to see what God is doing in the world through everyday people and everyday encounters? Yeah, and this is a, I mean, it's a very, very important um, uh, topic. In fact, I've spent a lot, two chapters in my most recent book, Reformation, with uh, Mark Nelson, uh, two chapters on this idea that trying to read the city and, and also read mm-hmm. human life um, is what's going on. And it's like really Paul in Jerusalem, really. Not so much yep. Paul in, sorry, Paul in Athens, not Paul in Jerusalem. Paul in Jerusalem has got his King James out and he's reading Lama Lama, <laughs> precept by precept. Um, you know, and you, as you would expect among the people of God who are formed by the story. In Athens, he's completely different. He, he, um, he interprets the, the idols because mm-hmm. an idol is a, a what Jacques-Luc Marion calls a saturated phenomenon. They, they carry more meaning. The people are investing something in them. It's, it's incorrect, but I mean, they, it's showing what they think is valuable. Yeah. They're investing something into the idol. And that the idol bespeaks of something. So he reads the idolatry and says, what you're looking for here, you can find in Jesus. Yeah. He reads their poetry. Poetry is a search for meaning and, you know, and, and art is a search for meaning in, 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 what is often seemingly a meaningless world. Right. A good, good art and poetry and beauty speaks a lot of God. And, uh, and we can, people, any human being can access at that level, but it's a start. You know, they've got to go the whole journey to find yep. God who's behind the beauty. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we've got to be missionaries and, and, and uh, not presume that we know what good news is going to sound like to the people we're trying to reach. We've got to listen first. Yeah. And, um, what is going to sound like good news to them? And that it's a missionary stance and it's what all missionaries should do. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely what is the good news for the person I'm talking to? Uh, we, you know, sure. it's not a prepackaged no. program saying, you know, I'm going to have step one, two, three, and four, yeah. and somebody yeah. can get saved. You know, it's yeah. different. Well, for I everyone. mean, that's what we've made of it, haven't we? I mean, yeah. it's like we've given into a formula and it always in the Western tradition addresses our guilt before God mm-hmm. and guilt before God's real. 
Oh, there's yep. no doubt about that. But it's not the only existential register that human beings, you know, express. Yep. Um, shame is different. Powerlessness. You know, there are a whole lot of other ways. Uh, alienation, loneliness. It's interesting. I was living in New York City, as you know, mm-hmm. and I never experienced loneliness in my life except in that city. Wow. Uh, and I think I was picking up something of the spirit of the city. There are a lot of single people, very, uh, very lonely people, even in the crowd. And uh, you can feel it. And so what does the gospel say to human loneliness in a city like that? Mm. You know, our community and togetherness and love. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other ways in which you can reach into the human soul. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I saw you in New York, I was, uh, I was there. My sister was living in New York at the time, and she was expressing just that, of the loneliness of her friends, mm. the people around her. They want, she was trying to figure out how to how to bond together as community. Um, they weren't interested in in church per se, but they were interested no. in spirituality. They were interested yeah. in Jesus and how do how do we come together as community? Because they were they were often very lonely and not able to figure yeah. out how do we do this. Yeah, and often the way I mean I, I I get them about the church issue. I mean most churches in New York City, I, you know, you know overemphasize, I think, the Sunday expression, which doesn't address human loneliness. It, mm. It's a sermon and some worship, which is good. Yeah. But it's not addressing what people are experiencing. So no wonder they're not interested. It doesn't meet their need, their yep. most deepest need. So, but, but you know, I think our job as missionaries is to, you know, find out, and there's so much in the gospel mm. uh, that addresses every aspect of the human condition. So. <laughs> Loneliness is addressed by being integrated into a community, yep. uh, a genuine community, and, and learning a loving community, learning how to love and respect, and and uh, you know that's a different thing from a church service. Yeah, you know, it's totally different. Um, how can we can we as you know people caught in the walls of the church? Can we reorient ourselves into a place where we can have true, authentic community that's not just you know, a Sunday gathering? Um, you know, again, I think it's just another retake on on what we've become very familiar with, like the notion of church. And um, I think I, I think a lot of these things are addressed in the issue of discipleship. So there's so much that discipleship does address. And discipleship done biblically is always in community. Mm-hmm. It's never just one-on-one. Yeah. On one. I think it's a big mistake that Western individualists make. Uh, I'm sure that Jesus did one-on-one with his people, but you never get a view of it Every, anywhere in the scriptures, yeah. one-on-one with his disciples. No. It's always in groups, yeah. and there's a dynamic for that. And I think that the idea of comradeship and togetherness and struggling through things together actually binds people together, um, what I call mm-hmm. communitas. Yep. Um, you know, and suffering can produce that, or loneliness can produce a sense of um, in a human being of reaching out and Experiencing someone else's love as 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 gospel and good news. Yeah, I think we've just got to re- just just don't get so obsessed with the church service. That, you know, like, I mean, my goodness, I mean, it's not everything in the world, and you know, we, we're just over obsessed with the darn thing. Oh, yeah, um, I know. I'm sure that Jesus can do without it for a while, and and uh, begin. You know, the interesting thing is. Uh, uh, Oh, you've heard me on this before. And I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Keep going. Not everybody has. The so. the queen, <laughs> you know, the queen and, and, the, and the chess. You heard this metaphor, right? 
Yeah. Um, I think so. The idea that if you want to learn how to play chess, you take out your queen first, um, mm -hmm. and your opponent will keep their queen, and they'll they'll take you out for a long time. But eventually, you're going to learn what the other chess pieces can do. Yeah. And then you put your queen back in when you learned what the other ones can do, and then you're <laughs> going to really win at chess because you're not over relying on what is you know see to be your strongest point. You're learning. So, so if you take up, say, the Sunday service or preaching or whatever it is that yep. you know your church says is about, take it out conceptually in your mind, and then think about what are what are the other elements of church that can be bolstered, uh, and then put your then you know go back, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. I mean, we, you know, the local church that I attend, we've we've gone to a primarily home church model where we meet in homes, you know, all all week and you know, once a month we'll gather corporately. Um, but most of the time we're in homes and we're home churches. And we, you know, w at one of the meetings we were talking about it, we used that metaphor of, you know, taking, taking the queen off the board. And what does that look like? Um, and, you know, and for us, it's really a reorientation of what does it look like to, to live in community with others for Jesus, with Jesus, <laughs> Um, and it's it's totally way new way of doing things. Some of the people in the church decided to go somewhere else, do something different. Um, but the people who have stuck around and stayed, and we've added new people um, during this time, it's because we found a true authentic community um, that we're living life together, we're seeing one another, um, and it's more dynamic. Um, and the depth of it is so great. Um, yeah. Is there any uh, any time where in your life where you have had this communitas uh, experience, um, and what was that like for you? Well, I have actually. I mean, I I think for Debs and myself, um, our time at uh, in our first church that we led, which is called South Melbourne Restoration Community, uh, it was a, it's just we'd never been able to quite find the same it's, it spoiled us in some ways for what church can be yeah i mean it was a remarkable experience you know we, the gospel came among oddballs and weirdos like us you know druggies yep. and um, street people and oddballs and um you know it, you know there was a definite dynamic the dynamic of the holy spirit in it and then we all lived you know we lived together in houses um you know, we experienced something that's pretty rare, actually. Yeah. And by living together and and uh, sharing life, and um, you know, we believed a lot in community. That anyone who wanted to come to the church had to be within five kilometer radius. Mm. Well, they could come, but we would right. simply say it's not going to work for you <laughs> because you, you do need to be able to walk to church, you know, yep. and uh, and that to church meaning our, our gathered community, so that you're going to have this experience beyond simply the Sunday expression. Mm -hmm. um, yeah so yeah i definitely have and it's very rich um yeah you realize how poor are so many expressions of of parent christian community are you know that we yeah we don't have much beyond the sunday service when the, yeah when did you move over to australia from and you were in south africa i grew up in south africa that's right i was born in uh, that's right i was born and raised in south africa and I left when I was 22. And that was, in, oh gosh, back in 80, 82, 83, yeah. <laughs> somewhere up there. <laughs> in fact, it was the, the turn of that year. So the end of 82, the beginning of 83. 
Uh, so it's a long time ago. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's a, how is that? Yeah, how is that upbringing, both you know, in your in your Jewish family, but in apartheid South Africa, how has that impacted mm-hmm. your walk with Jesus? Oh yeah, hugely. Yeah, I was one of those white kids. Apparently, why well, I'm Jewish, uh, so um, you, you deeply struggled with apartheid. I hated it. I could yeah. never make any sense of it. Uh, these were people. They had faces. They had children. They had lives. You know, I, I, I couldn't get my head around it ever. Mm-hmm. So I was always having fights with people. And then I was the effing Jew, you know, yeah. going through school. I mean, I don't. Wow. I often ask people, you know, racist countries are racist, you yep. know, and Jews are always in line too. So um, I'm saying it wasn't as bad as the black people had there, but it was bad, you know. And so I often ask people, how many how many fights did you have at school? You know, those <laughs> fights when everyone gathers around and everyone yep. says, oh, one or two, maybe three. I said, yeah, well, I had about 45, 50. Wow. And uh, here's the thing is, that, you know, I'm not a big guy, right? But I actually won all of them. Wow. I drew one. The rest yeah. of it. You don't want to mess with the scrappy little guy. Uh, <laughs> I knew that. What's it? Like, if you, I had to defend myself, you know, otherwise my life was miserable. Yeah. You know, because it was a racist. Thing. I hated it. I honestly struggled with South Africa and I knew I had to leave. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. feel I could change the system then. It was in the 80s. Um, before Mandela was released to, well, actually the 70s and 80s, and so yep. early 80s. Um, and, you know, so my family, I think, sensed that we, you know, we, we couldn't, we wouldn't stay. They were, yeah. And so we decided to move as a, as a group, you know, as a, as a mm-hmm. family. So Australia is a natural kind of next step for, Australia, uh, for South Africans. Mm. That's good. And then when did you start? start uh the church and the community in australia uh well uh so okay um uh, that would have been so 83 it would have been about 87 i think because uh, i'd done a theological training or seminary mm-hmm. um 80 there's five four years so you've um yeah i'm gonna say about 87 uh, 88 um and so uh and and, and yeah we were very young and and uh this crazy or crazies. You you think my story is weird? You should check Deborah's out. Um, it was this oddball group of people, but it was so much fun, man. Yeah, it was you know Jesus on the edge, and you know we it was it was amazing, amazing experience. Yeah, I'd love to hear one of the one or two of oddball stories of your time. Well, let me tell you, like I was keep saying about Deborah, um, oddball story. I mean, Deborah was. Um, came from a you know nominally christian family a mother was catholic dad was protestant but they thought that protestantism didn't believe in god because her dad didn't so you know yeah um it was nominal very nominal anyway so she was um for whatever reason she ended up uh, and her sister living as lesbians um doing a lot of drugs and partying and all that stuff going going along with it um and the, the guys who brought them to Lord were who, who, drug dealers. Wow. Uh, and the, the story of the drug dealer, his name was George. Uh, he, he had a whole lot of <coughs> car parking fines. <clears throat> he didn't like to pay them. And yeah. he would use this every year. The, gov- the government would put him in prison for 10 days or whatever. But he saw it as a time of reading. So just go on and on, you know, have a vacation in prison and, uh, and, and do some reading, you know. And, uh, <laughs> 
and so he, t- he didn't he could, didn't organize himself terribly well this one time. So he managed to just grab his family big Bible, you know. Yeah. And uh, so he was reading through the Bible. Apparently, it was Leviticus, no, no less. <laughs> Leviticus. And the Holy Spirit got hold of him and pinned him down on the ground for about like half a day. Wow. He just couldn't get up off the ground, and you know he was just pinned down. <laughs> wow. And uh, I mean, he was absolutely changed and. His brother came to connect him from prison, um, and by the time his brother got home to their home, um, uh, he was a convert too. And so wow. the two of them were drug dealers, right? So what they did was they got a list of all the people they dealt drugs with, right? And they fronted <laughs> up with every one of them um, with a Bible Amazing. and um, and <laughs> and a great planet Earth, if you remember that <laughs> yeah, crazy kind of video. And uh and uh, they literally worked their way through this, the, the, all their, their drug list. And um, uh-huh. and Debs was on that. Wow. And uh, her and her sister, and they snuck into this, uh, this is a little bit more weird. <laughs> uh, they, they snuck into their house one night because uh, they, you know, they, Sharon and Deborah were running, you know, didn't want to meet with them because they knew they'd gone religious. And so John George snuck into their house one night and just waited for them. And, um, and they came back home, and they, so Debs and Sharon were on acid, and they yeah. were seeing pink elephants jumping across the road yeah. and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, John George are waiting there, and they, they put the late great, late great planet Earth on while they tripping uh-huh. out on acid. And uh, well, the two of them became believers and never ever looked back. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really our early, yeah, myself. The others, we were the early kind of church uh, wow. for, our, for our church. And that's really what built up yeah. uh, all these weird characters. It, like I said, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus just meets us where we're at. Um, yeah. And, you know, he doesn't require us to change or do anything before he meets us, you know, yeah. and encounters us yeah. and he wants to encounter yeah. us. Yeah, it's Look beautiful. at Jesus and, and, uh, and the, the, you know, say the prostitute, or you know, he liked to hang. Yeah, they liked to hang out with him. Right? Oh yeah, like they loved it. Most <laughs> prostitutes don't like evangelicals, right? But they love <laughs> to hang around with Jesus, right? Because there's yep. a different kind of holiness at work here. Mm-hmm. It's redemptive, right? Yeah. It's non-judgmental, and it calls to change. But it, it's very loving. It's very engaging, and I think we can learn Jesus's mode of engagement. You know? Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, there was a we did a little training. One of the one of our our people said, you know, everybody, you know, holds up these John three sixteen signs at you know at football games, and you see all these signs. And she said, I think it's probably time that we switch to John three seventeen, which you know Jesus came not to condemn the world, um, but he sent him to save yeah. the world. You know, yeah. and so it's yeah. a it's a different. It's a different mindset, you know. As yeah, we go, yeah. we're not going out to condemn the world. This is not yeah. what Jesus did, but to save the world and redeem yeah. the world. It's redemptive. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. We're not called to be bad news. I mean, and, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> say to Christians, you're not you're not meant to play the role of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict of sin and righteousness, not right. yours. Yeah, you exactly. can just present good news and leave the rest to God. You don't have to be moral guardians of people's behavior just i yeah. release you from jesus name yeah. not called to that amen to witness there. so like you know i just think we've got to get stopping bad news people yep you know yeah like uh, i think in the last year um some churches have become bad news churches 
Um, we've become bad news people. Um, yeah. And some have not. Some there's some hope, you know, that I've seen in the midst of you know the body of Christ. Um, you know, but there is a difference. And I've seen some churches like be swayed by all sorts of, you know, deceitful cunning. And then some churches stand strong, some people in the body stand strong, and they've been really effective in, you know, in this time. What is the difference that you've seen between churches that have gone (laughs) bad news and churches that have gone good news? Well, the answer is going to be, again, a very obvious one, but but to me, a very serious one is the Jesus factor. Yeah. I would say, you know, like, you know, Josh, you know, the idea that <clears throat> the only way a church knows it's authentic is to the degree that it reflects and is um, um, is an agent of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's, it's, its job is to witness to its founder, who's, yeah. you know, yeah. Jesus. Yep. Jesus looks like something. It's not just you don't have to guess at it. There's there's, there's four gospels there that tell you what he was on about, and um, and the, 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 I'm horrified, honestly, at um, the behavior of some churches who claim to be churches and they don't look, act, sound, and think like Jesus. Right. I mean, you look at them, you think, and you look at Jesus, and you look at them, you look. They're a different phenomenon going on. There's, totally different. There's no continuity yeah. here. They don't understand the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can be more explicit about that, but I just think we, our only mandate is that we must take what Jesus did in body and extend. And if we're not doing that, then I right. just think, I don't think it's a church anymore. Yeah. It's on its way out or it's one on its way in maybe, but it's yeah. not a church if it doesn't look, act, and sound and think like Jesus. Yeah. You know, that's the ultimate measure. <laughs> it's definitely the ultimate measure and we've we've lost our way in it um, yeah, we you have. know we we have different business metrics for yeah. for growth yeah. but uh it is jesus and jesus needs to be the center of all things um yeah. and he needs to be lord i mean mm-hmm. it's the lordship of jesus the lordship you know, of jesus in in the mission circles one of the things that we talk about a little bit is insider movements you know, like, hey, can you be a you know messianic Jew? Like, people are okay with that, right? Uh, a lot in, in the West, people are okay, but a Muslim follower of Jesus, I don't know if you could be. Some people aren't okay. Some people are okay with that. <laughs> and I yeah. think you know, it all boils down to the lordship of Jesus. Is Jesus Lord or is he not Lord? That's right. um, yeah. And so it doesn't matter what you call yourself. Is Jesus Lord? Is he not Lord? And that's what it. Yes. You know, that's yeah. it for me. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, like, you know, in forgotten ways, one of the MDNA, the central one, the governing one, is the centrality of that confession, Jesus is Lord, which contains, yep. I say it's a worldview in three words. Mm. It's, it sounds like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, mm. but actually it carries an incredible no, amount of theological weight. Yeah. So on the one hand, you've got the kingdom of God, the lordship piece, Jesus is Lord, that waits to the sovereignty of the kingship, the... Um, the sovereign ruling authority of God. That's that's a big biblical idea. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you've got it's Jesus who is Lord. So you've got the, all the character and content of the gospel is located in this person called Jesus Christ. In other words, you get the character there. It It, it is enough and yeah. to create movements on it. And um, it's not the only thing you can say about God, but it's the doorway to the knowledge and the love of God. Yeah. You can say more, but you cannot say less than that. 
And you're absolutely right. And I think our, the way we articulate the gospel in the West has been to Jesus is my savior, mm. but not so much my Lord. Yeah, wow. The gospel is to be believed in your head, but not obeyed in, you know, in, with your life. Yeah. Because we say, well, you accept Jesus into your heart. Nowhere does the Bible ever use that phrase, by the way, ever. Nope. It's, a, it's an absolute nonsensical phrase. Um, you come under the Lordship of Jesus. You don't just let Jesus into your heart. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we, you know, the way we communicate the gospel calls for belief, mm. yep. intellectual, uh, you know, ascent to certain yep. sets of ideas, but it doesn't call for obedience and following. Mm. And so I think that's where discipleship has got to come to play. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, as the, the mandate in the Great Commission, he says, go make disciples yeah. of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. The obedience Indeed. is right there in, in discipleship, right? Yeah. We have to live it out and walk out our obedience with Jesus uh, or else it's going to fail um, or it's yeah. going to crumble. Um, Indeed. Yeah, I think missional incarnational impulse you've touched on, didn't mention it, but going going deep, uh, going out to a community, but going deep and staying there. I think, you know, one of the things I've noticed, you know, coming back to the United States after being away in the Middle East for a while and, and doing mission there, a lot of people want to do so-called mission work in the U.S., but they live out in the suburbs and they want to do their mission work in, in the urban core or, the, you know, amongst this you know, community over here, but they're not there. They don't stay there. I think long enough to create yeah. some sort of a, a, a movement or some sort of like relational credibility. Um, interesting going to America. I mean, Westerners are very mobile anyway. Yep. And, but, but to be honest here in Australia, if you move house, you generally move, you stay in the same city. Yep. Uh, you might move suburbs, you know, very seldom do people change cities. When I first, and this means something, but when I first went to America, I realized, oh my goodness, we, you ask people where they're from. They say, well, I was born in so and so, and then I was raised there. <laughs> dad, you know, we went to, you know, and by the time they get to about 20, there have been four major moves in their life, and then yeah. maybe four or six. And, and then, of course, when they go to college, it's another major move yep. up interstate. And the thing is that that is that <clears throat> what this does is it fractures our capacity to have relationships that go the distance. Yeah. We don't have the internal capacities to go beyond two years. We don't invest in anyone, ne your next door neighbor, because, well, he's going to be gone or she's going to be gone in two years' time, yeah. or I'm going to be gone. So you never get beyond what it means to have a two-year relationship with someone. Wow. And so the, the mobility fractures our capacity to, to, to have community that goes the distance. <laughs> now, this is invisible. Most people just don't realize it's happened to them, but they really yeah. have been really damaged by the mobility we don't know covenant love, hmm. which that's important for incarnation and for commitment to a people group. Yeah. Uh, and to show them the love of the covenant love, the chesed of Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Chesed, is, I mean, it's so important. Yeah. Speak into chesed a little bit. Well, it's, it's, it's covenantal, you know, like the idea that it binds itself to, to someone, you know, like it's, it, well, that's God's, God is, Talks about Chesed, you know. Um, agape would be the probably the New Testament kind of translation of it. But the idea of God's um, merciful love and His investment in us, coming from His nature, not from 
us being lovable or particularly, yeah. um, you know, but loving us just for love's sake, you know. And I think us learning that, you know, and going the distance with it. Like I said, most people, I mean, marriage is, I think the core of a marriage is, is, is covenantal love. Right. It's not the sexuality piece, although that's, you know, that just comes a bargain. But can you have love that goes the distance? Right. When all the romance, you know, is not there. Yeah. You know, because it comes and goes, right? <clears throat> uh, no, I think this is a big issue in in, um, in in Western culture now because we just don't have a lot of examples of covenant. Yeah, we need to learn this. It doesn't come easy. I, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm very good at it particularly <laughs> being a loving person, you know, but we've still got to work at that, you know. Um, gosh. Yeah, I mean, in the the church as well, you know, in Ephesians 4, you know, Paul's talking about bearing with one another in love. Um, and, you know, there's uh, almost, what, 60 one another commands in the New Testament of what we need to do as a community of believers. But bearing with one another in love, that's a, it's a pretty, like, hey, we know that it's going to hit the fan and yeah. we have to be with one another in the middle yeah. of it. So that, you know, no matter what does, you know, we know that we love each other enough to work it out. Again, yeah. it's like a marriage. <laughs> it is like a marriage. And we're not, you know, we're not willing to stick it out. Some, you know, people are like, hey, you know, this church isn't doing it for me. I'm going to go down the street to another. Mm-hmm. You know, in the Middle East where I, my Muslim background believers that I was discipling and, and they were doing church, they didn't have the the privilege to go down the street to another church. They didn't have that option. They had to bear with one another in love. They had to work it out. <laughs> Suck it up, baby. <laughs> Sorry, you have to be with these people. Yeah. <laughs> you may not like them, but you Actually, have to Actually, I think the church, is, the church generally is God's kind of joke on us, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> it is. People mostly, you would never, I mean, for the most part, you look around the church and think, I would never normally choose you guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just that there's nothing really that would bring us together and hold us together, except the fact that we're being shoved together by Jesus. Yeah. And we got to work it out. <laughs> but it's, it's a gift. Yep. It's such a gift to us because you have, that's where you work out what love means, you know? When, yeah. Not just with the lovable, with people that you ordinarily wouldn't have love for. Yeah. Have you seen any good examples of of movements in the midst of this pandemic uh, in the church? Yeah, little, many little out, outbreaks of, of new ways of thinking. But um, one movement that didn't just pop up out of nowhere, but that everyone's talking about now, and rightly so, is, <clears throat> is the underground, which is doing so well at the moment. You know, it's just been... Um, it's just a wonderful group of people, yeah. again, engaged in very raw forms of mission and seeing church emerge out of mission. And it's very good, very movemental. Yeah, Brian's uh, doing great in Tampa. And then we, yeah. I just interviewed Rob uh, this morning. Rob Wigner, uh, yeah, yeah, wonderful man. And so talking about Casey Underground and you know, what's right. happening here in Kansas City. And it was, uh, it's really exciting what's going on. Yeah. Do you know, you know, Rob? Personally, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's a wonderful man. Yeah, he's really yeah. awesome. And it's a great book. Uh, he and Lance, I contributed a bit to it, but it was really mainly their work, reflecting a little bit of mine. But um, and then my contribution. But yeah, what a privilege to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, they're doing a they're doing a great job as far as you know because they're you know starting micro churches, they're trying to multiply micro churches and hubs and and disciples. Uh, they're able to 
yeah, go the distance with people. I mean, Rob's talking about, you know, how difficult it is now, you know, as he walks the dog outside, he has to have hour long conversations with his neighbors because he's in a discipleship mode, you know, they're, and they're really discipling people um, where they're at in their neighborhoods and where they're living. Um, and so that's, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah, no, it's very, and again, it, you, it's, it smacks of the New Testament, right? It's, yep. it's about that fabric of community that goes beyond a, a gathering, you know, as important as gathering is, we've just made it everything. What is God revealing uh, to the church in this past year? Boy, well, that's a very, very painful question. For yeah, me, I know. <laughs> um, I feel it so incredibly deeply, whether I want to or not, I don't. I'm, I'm not the most mature person for this kind of thing. But um, I just feel, you know, the word apocalypse um, has been the kind of a theme word for me now for the last, you know, since COVID. But um, I've always loved the book of Revelation and um, mm. apocalypse means revelation uh, yeah. or unveiling or revealing. Yeah. Um, um, peekaboo <laughs> you get to look uh, at what's it was always going on yeah. we just weren't aware of it and i think what what covid has done the last 12 months 15 months i think and i throw the u.s election in there if you're in the u.s but mm -hmm. the world because it impacted us all yep it revealed things you know deeply broken and hidden i think sinful things that have not been resolved never been brought to jesus Never been reconciled in the gospel, um, and um, you know, and and the, and the challenge in apocalyptic times, like when God does these things, it calls us to repentance, right? right. You, you, God, when Jesus challenges the seven churches in the Book of Revelations, He says, "This I have before you, but this I have against you: repent, or I'll take your lights out." Right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're under we're under those conditions now. And the notion that God judges or um, refines his people in, in fire, you know, burns the dross away. Yeah. And, and that's a sign of God's love and his commitment to us. He won't leave us where we're at. And I think we're going through a season where God is revealing things to us. And I, whether we've got the character to correctly respond to it, I don't know. We're, we're seeing, you know, very childish behavior. Uh, but I, I fear for the church at the moment. Yeah. If we don't repent um, and, and return to our, to our first love, I define that. It's not the first little woozy woozy love when you first fell in love with Jesus' love. <laughs> right. It's primary defining love. It's yeah. Jesus' Lord love, right? Yeah. If we don't find our way to first love, we're going to be judged. And I think the, the lights will be taken out of many churches. Yep. Yeah, and I think in the West – because we're so ingrained to think individually we're thinking about individual repentance other people are like ah, i don't have anything to repent for but there's a communal repentance that's needed yeah. how can we get a individualistic mindset western mindset out so that we can have some communal repentance yeah what are some steps to get there yeah well okay so the one thing is to realize that the most calls to repentance, certainly almost all in the Old Testament, are addressed to the people of Israel yeah. as a whole, mm -hmm. or Judah, or, you know, or a tribe, or a group. So it's always corporate, actually. 
And actually in the New Testament, it's like that too. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. when uh, Paul, Peter addresses the Jerusalem, you know, the, the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem calls them to repent. Right. Um, um, echoing the, the Old Testament scriptures. And then, of course, the revelations, metanoia, um, they call to repent, change. You know, so I think first and foremost to realize that most the Bible always refers to almost always to, not to individuals primarily, hmm. but actually just to groups and learning what it means to be as a group that repents. Yeah. Uh, take slavery, for instance. Yeah. If can, you know, one of the problems of evangelical theology is that many of the theologians that we draw upon actually had slaves. You won't think about that for a while, right? In other words, they had a rationality in their mind that said it was a right to buy and purchase and use human beings and then sell them if you want and do whatever you want with them. Yeah. So in the theological rationality, it was there. That was never, that means they don't realize the gospel first and foremost. And then, so there's a deep blind spot that's never been addressed because we, that's a corporate issue that we as a whole are going to take on. We never repented before God and said sorry for our sins. Mm. And I think that accounts for a lot of the pain of black people or people of color in, in, in the U.S. at the moment. It was never really apologized for. Yeah. There had to be a war for it. And it was yeah. never, it was resented, you know. And we need to repent of it. Yeah. The sin of slavery. I mean, I've That's just an so example. Many, you know, so many stories and videos of corporate repentance in South Africa. Yes. Um, I, I thought it was done well in South Africa. Yes, it was done very, very well. Uh, it got, yes, very well. And we could do with learning about that. You know. Yeah. But in Africans, as you know, are much more corporately minded, right? They right. recognize, yeah. you know, uh, umfundizi as the notion of um, um, the collective is represented in, the, in in its leader. You know, but it's all about collective consciousness and all that stuff. Right. And, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yes, it's a funny concept. You know, I'm writing on repentance at the moment. And um, as I do, I try and be well-researched. Right? So I try to go dig right. out a book on metanoia, metanoia being the New Testament term for it, yes. which uh, enhances the, the Old Testament term of turning or return, shuv or teshuvah. But the New Testament puts the word metanoia meta or after or above mind lawyer's mind having an above mind right or beyond mind which really means paradigm shift right having changing your yep. mind uh, as well as turning you know so it incorporates yeah. the two now others say go try and dig out a book on metanoia anywhere and i found one really uh, wow. scholarly book that was written in the end of the 1800s and reissued in the early 900s um, it's, it's at least a century old, and I cannot find anything else. Wow. I think, what the heck is that about? Yeah. Um, now, there are books on broader repentance, but they tend to take a penance idea rather than this metanoic. Hmm. Uh, it's just phenomenal to me. That's, that Wow, that's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> when the first words of Jesus are repent. Right. Metanoiete, yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, because the kingdom of God is at hand. We don't even know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a problem. <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. 
Uh, that's a big problem. So help us out. We need, we need that book. <laughs> we yeah, need well, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get, you know, in a, in a very difficult year, being quite depressed about the nature of the, the state of the world and the state of the yeah. church has grieved me deeply. And I feel like, not me personally, you know what, I'd like to think it's God, God's pain. Mm. I feel a little bit of yeah. it. Of how yeah. unfaithfully people can be, and and I think you know it's just a little bit of it, and I mm. feel it very personally, and I feel personally responsible, and it's been very hard to write actually. Yeah, but I'm 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 getting out of that. It's been been a bit of a funk. Yeah, but I do think it's what God's doing in me, and I'm trying to be obedient to it. <laughs> mm. I don't like pain, Josh. <laughs> I, I don't think I many people like pain, so. Uh, some people do my wife does much better at it than i yeah. do but me i just ugh, do not deal with it very well yeah and that's i mean I'm immature in that regard you know yeah to go through that pain um you know the, the one thing that god is is teaching me i just remember just a couple of weeks ago someone's asking me so what's god teaching you right now and you know the first thing i was like well to die like to go through yeah. this this death of of what I think my identity is yeah. or what I think my work is or what I think any impacts I've ever had and just to die to it all um, yeah. and just to let Jesus reform me into yeah. his image. Um, and yeah. so I just... Yeah. It's not easy though, is it? I mean, <laughs> it's not easy at all. Men, you know, you're meant to take charge of your life and get it, you know, it is, it's very difficult to let go. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, thank you. There's a couple of questions I like to ask uh, at the end of these. And the first one is, yeah, if you could give advice to your 21 year old self, what kind of advice would you give? At 21, I was a bit of a party animal. Um, wow. I don't know if I can easily answer that. What would I say to my 21 year old self? Be true, you know. I think I think yeah. that, that follow follow you that, that instinctive because I mean I know God was leading me, you know, and even in my my somewhat lost years, um, the idea of staying true to the truth that you know, truth that you know is true, is probably something that would guide me. Yeah, to my life, but That's trying good. to allow your life to respond to truth, mm-hmm. and uh, and. Um, and trust it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe That's something good. like that. That's good. Yeah. Anything that you're reading or watching lately that you'd recommend? Um, well, you know, <laughs> I've, as you know, I've become pretty obsessed with this. Uh, it's a Roman Catholic theologian called Hans Urs von Balthasar. Yeah. Uh, so I renamed myself Eltazar <laughs> in his honor. And I've been pretty obsessed with him so like am i reading other things yes but i'm pretty the last seven years i've almost read read him every day almost. wow <laughs> he's incredibly yeah. deep and mm-hmm. um i found a probably i think the greatest theologian ever really in, in him. so i find it like an, an almost inexhaustible supply of incredibly fertile thinking mm. and deep love of scripture and love of truth and the yeah just, I've learned so much from him. So, like, I'm I'm still in that journey of integrating and trying to learn from him. 
Yeah. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis, but he's uh-huh. like, he's, he's C.S. Lewis is C.S. Lewis, right? He's like what C.S. <laughs> wow. Lewis would be to yeah, himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lewis is always, like someone said of Lewis, is, and who I love to bits, by the way, too, yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, he's good. He said, like, every road you're going up on, Lewis, Lewis is coming back. <laughs> he's a pretty good he's on his way down. I yeah. think I feel that all Baltazar. You know, he's like, you know, he's passing on the roads and enjoy the journey. <laughs> be in there, it's wonderful, you know, enjoy yeah. every road that you've gone up is coming down. Oh, that's good. All right. So <laughs> I gotta I gotta dig deep into Baltazar. You do yeah. start with his book on prayer. It's absolutely magnificent. But you have to teach yourself to read again. Mm. And that's what I say to people, every page is a book in Baltazar. It's yeah. as loaded as no kidding. It is very dense, and you have to slow down and pay attention and allow yourself to learn again, have metanoic mind, open up, yeah. you know, to change and learn. Test all things. There's nothing there. I, I find him deeply, deeply biblical. Yeah. And, um, but that people test for themselves. But I would say you would learn a huge amount. And starting with prayer, it's a wonderful book on, on, on prayer. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, that's good advice for for reading in general is to yeah. slow down, is to to listen, have your mind. And if you're open. not reading someone who really challenges you, if you're reading people that you read when you were, you know, when you were 21, right? Something wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, you're meant to exactly. grow up, and and, and, yeah. uh, and you know, you're meant to theologically, you know, God is inexhaustible. Uh, truth is ever greater. You never get on top of that. And certainly your Sunday school understanding doesn't get you there. You yeah. need to go on the learning journey uh, to, to go deeper with God. And prayer is the means by which you do that. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. Well, Alan, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It was a great conversation and really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thanks, Josh. Love you. Love your work, mate. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.